Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of God. Jesus speaks, Verily, verily, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger. They will run from him because they do not know the voice of a stranger. Jesus used this figure of speech with them because they did not understand what he was saying to them. So, again Jesus said to them, Verily I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and bandits. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be back with you again. It's been several weeks since I've been able to be at Johnson Street, but I want you to know how delighted Vicki and I were to be able to drive down. Uh, I like being here a lot better than Houston or Chicago or Denver or some other place, Indianapolis, uh, that I've been at since I've been back. Uh, It's always a deep pleasure and a a joy for us to worship at Johnson Street. Well, we've been singing some great songs this morning around some great themes. This idea of God is a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, These themes, I think, are particularly important for us because there is a a national debate going on in our culture and in, in popular rhetoric on uh, news feeds and opinion pages and websites today that actually is very much a part of uh, American culture. It actually dates back to the days of Ben Franklin and Alexander Hamilton or Thomas Jefferson. It's the debate about how two things relate to one another. One of those things is the pursuit of freedom or liberty. We don't use the word liberty so much, so we hear freedom spoken about a lot today. That we ought to be free to do whatever we want to do. 
And yet the pursuit of freedom also puts in jeopardy or is in, lives in a certain sort of tension with another reality, and that is security. That if we're going to be secure, then we may have to give up some of our liberty. And, and the debate goes on and on and on between those two realities. Both are important. Both are vital. We need both. We've got to find a balance for those two things. But in the middle of all that, in the pursuit of those two things, something is happening in our culture today that I am very concerned about. It is that within that debate between uh, my right to assert myself on one hand and on this deep-seated need to be secure and be safe and find everything, get everything fixed just right in our life, we are, uh, in American, an American culture, we are living today uh, a very, in a very anxious culture. We worry and we stress. The National Institute of Health recently uh, declared that almost 20% of Americans uh, this year will be, uh, suffer some sort of anxiety-producing reality. They'll have some sort of anxiety disorder. That we are a people who are uh, popping either Prozac or Xanax at rapidly increasing rate. That we somehow or another have found ourselves spinning out of control and anxiety is winning the day. The new phrase that is, uh, or sets of phrases that are showing up in our culture today are phrases like economic anxiety or racial anxiety or cultural anxiety or demographic anxiety. And so this sort of language and this sort of dilemma uh, points out to me very clearly the deep, deep need for us all as the people of God to take a long, deep breath and remember that God is our shepherd. (laughs) You know, we don't need to do something stupid when we get to feeling all anxious and worried. We can take one little step and all kinds of things can break loose. Since we're talking about shepherds and sheep this morning, let me tell you about a story about some shepherds in Turkey about a decade ago. They were having breakfast, breakfast around a fire, watching their sheep, about 1,500 sheep in a large pasture, when for some reason, some reason, one silly, stupid sheep took a leap right off the edge of a cliff into a gully. And before they could stop it, the whole herd had gone off the cliff. Boom. They lost about a third of the sheep, died and all of that. Apparently about the middle of the way through this exodus, uh, they started bouncing <laughs> on, the, on the bodies of dead sheep. And the second two-thirds of the flock uh, survived all of that. But as they reflected on that, uh, you know, what a waste What a waste out of some stupid sort of move. Sheep can be that way. Sheep are not known to be the smartest animals of the kingdom. Probably have to go find a wild hog for that. But uh, it's sheep. Sheep are not always the smartest ones uh, on the, uh, the, the DNA tree. And yet sheep show up so frequently in Scripture as a way of describing, yes, I know, us. Us. It's not a very flattering sort of thing to call people sheep. In fact, we kind of resist it. I don't want to be a sheep. They're dumb. They're defenseless. They need a shepherd. Often they need a sheepdog. Don't call me a sheep, we might say. 
And yet, here we are with this text that I read a few moments ago where Jesus is talking about sheep and how sheepfolds are helpful, a safe, secure place. Remember what we're talking about? How that he serves as a gate. And as a gate, he provides something. In fact, if you heard that as he spoke this, he talks about being the gate and whoever comes in to me will be saved. They'll be in a safe place. And they can come in and find safety and they can go out and find pasture. It seems to me that Jesus is reflecting something that we wrestle with all the time. How do we find safety and how do we find freedom? It's found by paying attention to the one that we know who provides life. You know, Sometimes we can get so wrapped up in taking care of our own safety and our own freedoms that we think that it all rests on us to find liberty and autonomy and to do whatever I want to do in spite of what anybody else has to say to me. That dilemma that we all face, that we can forget that we have one who speaks to us a word of hope and safety, and security, yes, even salvation. What we find ourselves doing when we pursue our own, uh, our own ends to this might be described when we find ourselves at the bottom end of all of that, what uh, Nancy Ortberg would say about it. John, John Ortberg, a noted author, talks about his wife Nancy, who was a nurse. And as a nurse working in neonatal clinics, working with little children just been born, that sometimes in mysterious places and ways, the, the report on a little infant might be FTT, failure to thrive. We don't know what causes it necessarily, but we can tell quickly that we've got a little child that's not growing, not gaining weight, not doing well. And all too often, church, when we try to figure out this business of safety and security and freedom and how we're going to live our life, when we fail to connect to the power and presence of the Good Shepherd, we too can fail to thrive. When thriving is the very thing that God wants for us, He longs to give us uh, thriving. He wants to see us thrive. And in fact, the word that we might use for this, salvation, in the Gospel of John, is actually a much shorter word than salvation. It's the word for life. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. That that's what God wants for us. And it comes to us not by figuring out some philosophical way to keep in balance liberty and security, of keeping freedom and safety in some sort of precarious balance. It comes when we recognize that we really do need a savior. The Russians have an old proverb that says, without a shepherd, <laughs> without a shepherd, that's a new word. Without a shepherd, sheep are not a flock. You have to have a shepherd for there to be a flock. And Jesus comes to us and says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one who lays down his life for the sheep. And with this, we are being reminded of God's deep and abiding care for every last one of us in this room. When we meet Jesus, we meet the one who truly, deeply 
cares for our soul. That's the definition of what it means to be a good shepherd. In the ancient Jewish tradition, out of rabbinic sources, this is not in the Bible, but it's, the, it's, it's a reflection on the stories of Moses. Do you remember when Moses, before he led the people uh, out of Egypt and into the land of, uh, uh, to the desert and on toward Canaan, he spent a number of years working for his father-in-law Jethro in the desert as a shepherd. And the old rabbinic tradition says there was a time when Moses saw a young lamb run away from the flock and he pursued the young lamb. Uh, when found it, it had been dehydrated and it hurt itself and he gathered up the young little lamb and brought it to a spring and fed it water and cared for it and put the young lamb on his shoulders and took it back to the flock. And in, according to the tradition, when this happened, God spoke to Moses and said this, because you have shown pity in leading one of a flock belonging to a man, I will invite you to lead my flock, Israel. It was that tender act of compassion, according to the tradition, that got Moses the job that he got. I'm not so sure he was happy about that. But nonetheless, I tell that story to tell you this, that Jesus comes to us as a shepherd cares even for the smallest and most fragile of creatures a dumb, defenseless lamb. And he cares for you in the same deep, caring way. Now, I know that so many of us, myself included, uh, can rush through days of our lives simply taking care of business and often fail to see others in our world. We've had that experience. When we are not a person, we're just a number to some larger system. This happens in our world all too often. And when we find ourselves uh, being discovered for who we really are, it is a wonderful moment indeed. Katrina, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Katrina Furlick, a medical doctor, actually a neurosurgeon, a neurosurgeon who, uh, not a neurosurgeon, that's somebody who works on old Roman emperors. <laughs> Sorry, that, uh, a neurosurgeon, just seeing if you're awake, a brain surgeon, writes about her experience being a, a, a resident uh, in the University of Pittsburgh uh, Medical Center. She tells about being a final last year resident, pressure, pressure, pressure on her, running from one thing to another, trying to stay up with the patient load. She tells about making her way into a consulting room to see about a new patient that's just being admitted. It was an 18-year-old boy who had cerebral palsy. He was... Uh, spastic and tremoring and jerking and slobbering and just just a mess all bone sitting in a little a wheelchair there she knew that she was under time pressure she looked at the young man realized she wasn't going to get much of a case history from him and she turned her back to him and spoke to his two parents taking the case history well the attending knowing that the attending physician was coming quickly well the attending physician came and he walked in and everything went real quiet, a little crowded consulting room, no place to sit. The attending physician just plopped down on the examining table, glanced at uh, Katrina uh, in the corner, and then looked at the parents, and then looked at the young man in the wheelchair and stared at him for a minute, focusing his attention on him, and then spoke to the young man and said, Wow, 
So how was it to complete high school? And all of a sudden, this young man who could hardly con- could not control his body and, and could not speak very well, but it was clear in that moment that although his body was withered away, there was a brain inside of that young man's head who was so proud of the fact that he had graduated from high school. And in that moment, she writes about her experience saying, I ignored him and did not take the time that the attending physician, my boss, did to notice that on his little bony, gnarled-up hand was a great big high school ring. This young boy had a voice. He had a life. And I ignored it, she writes, very confessionally. I share that story to say, partly to indict me and perhaps you, how quickly we can ignore the human beings that God places in our lives. But I'm also here to declare in the name of Jesus Christ that Jesus comes to us as the good shepherd who will never, ever walk into any room where we are at and ignore us. He is the one who knows his sheep and he cares for us deeply. That, my friends, is the sort of thing that we must keep in uh, our minds as we wrestle with our constant dilemmas to navigate security and freedom and all the other things as we scurry in and out of our gates, forgetting all the while that Jesus is the gatekeeper who watches over us. It's one of the reasons why, church, that we must pay attention to our culture and not get sucked into the anxieties of our culture. Uh, You'll notice in your bulletin today, there's one of those things that are happening right now in our culture. Netflix is is about to release a major series on suicide called 13 Questions. 13, right? 13 Reasons Why, I'm sorry. Uh, It's not altogether a flattering sort of portrayal and needs a good, deep Christian response. And I want to encourage you to pay attention to what Kevin and other staff people will be putting together as sort of response to this. I'm saying to you that we have some clear kinds of convictions that are a part of our faith that speak to the care of God for every last one of us, no matter what your story is, no how small or frail a lamb you may seem to be. Not to the way in which God sees you and I. In fact, it is that kind of deep conviction that calls us forward and invites us in to think about this text as Jesus announces that he is the good shepherd. The text right prior to this in chapter 9 is a story about a blind man. A blind man who, uh, who encounters Jesus, Jesus heals his blindness, and one by one, the people in his life, in this blind man's life, reject him and push him out. His parents reject him. The Pharisees reject him. Synagogue leaders kick him out. He no longer has fellowship in his religious community any longer. He is rejected And yet Jesus comes to him late in the story once again and invites him deeper into deeper life with him. That is the kind of work that shepherds do. That's the kind of thing that we find. It is in being in relationship with God that we will find the life that we so desire 
and seek after. It is the very thing that the Gospel of John is seeking to say from the very first verse to the very end of the book. In chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, we hear the writer say, In him, the word, was life, and the life was the light of all people. Or in chapter 3, we hear that familiar text, For God so loved the world that he gave up his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have, help me out, church, eternal life. Or he would say in chapter 11, in the stories around Lazarus, that I am the resurrection and the life. And even though, uh, if you believe in me, even though you die, you yet shall live. And this is eternal life, he says in chapter 17, that, though, that, they, that, that you may know uh, you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And at the end of the book of the Gospel of John, John will close it out by saying, these things have been written that you might believe and that through believing in him you might have life in his name. This idea of life Eternal life is not some pie-in-the-sky sort of reality. It is a living, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ that sustains us even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We will fear no evil as we have spoken this day. Security and freedom, liberty and hope, all of these things that we seek after actually ride in our relationship by knowing the voice of of the shepherd. Now, sheep are not the smartest creatures, but there is one thing about sheep that is kind of neat, and I want to point it out to you this morning. It's true that they can't live without help with food and water. They easily can get lost. They're not always able to find their way home. But the one thing about sheep that is rather remarkable is they come to learn the shepherd's voice they know the voice of the one who is their caregiver it is something remarkable about sheep in this way and the the stories that fall in the gospel of john play with this you noticed it did you not in our reading today that uh, sheep know the voice of the shepherd and they do not recognize the voice of a stranger And they'll run from the stranger, but come to the shepherd. This idea of the voice, the voice of the shepherd, it shows up all through the Gospel of John. John chapter 5, Jesus talks about the dead will hear uh, his voice and and will live. Or Lazarus in chapter 11, hears Jesus speak even uh, beyond the, the veil of the tomb. And when he hears the voice of Jesus calling his name, he comes forth. Or in, in John chapter 18, Pilate is uh, in Pilate's halls. Jesus stands there and makes the claim that everyone who belongs to truth will know and listen to the voice of Jesus. Now, let me help you with this to make this real concrete. I'm holding something called a what? A phone. Do you know what the word for in, in Greek is for voice? It is phone. Or actually because I know that Reed Hamill's here and is about to graduate with his MDiv, it would be phone A. But we're just going to call it phone, right? Just ignore Hamill for a little bit. <laughs> it's not hard to do. That was a joke. Phone. 
We spend a lot of time listening to a voice in our world. We carry it with us. We will get all anxious if we don't have it in our pocket, right? You know what happened to you when you left at the, the restaurant last week. You got all panicky because you didn't have your phone. You didn't have your voice. Church, I'm here today to tell you that there's another voice that's calling us. A voice that cries from generation to generation, inviting his people, his flock, to him. He speaks with love and care. He's acted decisively for us. He's laid his life down for us. And he invites us into the sheepfold. He provides us security. He provides us freedom uh, that only comes because we are truly secure in him and in nothing else. So as we close this morning and wrap up our time together as the people of God assembled here, I'm inviting you to remember to pay attention to the voice of the Savior, to remember that you are His and He is yours, and there is nothing that will deter Him from carrying out His responsibility and care for you as His sheep. And with that in mind, then we can live lives beyond the dilemmas and the anxieties that come with all of the debate and all of the concern about being safe or being free and all of the other attendant kinds of debates that we so easily see our world get caught up into. Why? Because we declare this morning that Jesus is the Good Shepherd and He calls us to be a part of His flock. Won't we seek to live a vibrant life in him? Let's stand together and sing.